Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Dirty Money and we're going to be talking about SVB Silicon Valley Bank asking the question is it going to be the next Lehman Brothers and in the studio today I have Mike how you doing Mike Doing great, minus the fact that the uh, whole stock market's uh, shaken up today about uh, a bank basically being shut down within a week. But otherwise, it's pretty good. <laughs> so let's let's give the viewers um, a little bit of an idea of sort of the timeline of what happened, because I know SVB, well, uh, it's a Silicon Valley bank. They lend to a lot of Silicon Valley startups, et cetera. Uh, a lot of you know startups have accounts with them, venture capital companies. And their stock, it was $267 on Wednesday, and it's dropped to around $100 now. Do you, do you want to talk about exactly I, like... I mean, the stock was $320 last week. And wow. So the, the Fed's uh, come in today in the morning. The stock drops overnight. It opens up at around $60 a share. It, they literally haul trading at $39.50. The stock dropped from Wednesday to today, 86%. You're talking about a complete collapse of a bank. And when I talk about it's in the top top banks in the country, I mean, they have a $211 billion in assets. The big thing, there's just so much there that, you know, makes you go, is it idiosyncratic or is it systemic? You know, what's going to happen next with, uh, with this whole thing? I wanted to reach out to some of the guys I know that run hedge funds. But I was like, I'm not going to do this and ask them if they had exposure because if they did, their heads were straight. That's something I was going to do earlier. And I was like, mm, better better not I'll wait till Saturday or Sunday to just to see if they had exposure there. But yeah, it's it's pretty intense because it's, it's a little tricky on how it happened, right? So it's not like right. where we had Lehman who's holding a tremendous amount of debt and holding a little bit of assets where it's almost even. Like, oh, wait, Lehman had... 619 billion in assets, I think, or six, 639 billion in assets Lehman had. And they had 613 billion in debt, right? So so they're running pretty close to an even balance sheet when they're when they're clearing out their banks at the end of the night. Problem with Lehman was is no one would buy their paper at the end of the night. And all their paper were holding was was the uh mortgages that were basically bad. So this is a little bit different, even though there was some exposure. On a lot of different stuff. Yeah, so let's let's give a little recap or uh, a little synopsis on how this happened, uh, so people can understand. So, basically, the basics of it is that um, Silicon Valley Bank and a lot of banks they invest heavily in treasuries, right? Because they need to put you know customers deposit money in the bank. They often buy treasuries with it, and this bank bought a lot of treasury bills over the past year or so at quite low interest rates, much lower than uh, is common now because the Fed has raised rates so fast. Um, but because the, the Fed raised rates fast, uh, banks have had to increase the interest they pay out on uh, bank accounts. And also many of the customers uh, have had to withdraw money from the bank because their interest has gone up on other loans. So they need more money uh, to pay that interest. Um, and just more money in general because of inflation and you know the general financial situation. So they're faced with a lot of withdrawals. And <clears throat> thus, they needed to sell some of their assets, some of the, the bonds that they bought, the treasury bills, um, because they needed to meet the obligations of withdrawals. But the thing is, their bonds uh, are paying less. So if they sell them at auction, uh, the bonds they currently own pay significantly less interest 
than the bonds that um, you know if you were to buy a treasury bill now it's you know the six month is paying over five percent the ones they're holding are not paying anywhere near that much so if they want to sell them uh, they actually have to sell them at a discount so this is what they did Silicon Valley Bank they sold 21 billion dollars worth of treasuries uh, but they were forced to sell them at a 1.8 billion dollar loss um, because they're paying lower interest rates because the Fed has raised interest rates uh, so fast and this is actually probably going to be a major concern for some other banks as well you know if it can hit Silicon Valley Bank maybe because the fact that a lot of their customers are venture capital companies you know uh, startups they are a bit more um how should we say unstable they're getting hit you know they're you know with debt payments and things like that that have increased um but this could even happen to many big names like jp morgan bank of america etc if they get a lot of uh withdrawals they may be forced to sell treasuries that are paying uh lower interest rates um at a discount at, at a loss yeah i i think like with with this the you know the the bigger guys um, they, they had their securities back a little bit more. You get a loan from them. You're, you're signing over some collateral to get the money. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the money that SVB was putting out was tech money, uh, that was debt, debt tech money. It wasn't, it wasn't actual equity, you know? So, so people would go to SVB if you're, if you're a startup tech or mid-level tech, you need more cash. Every tech company always just consumes cash. I mean, these guys are cash cows. I know somebody that's doing one right now. They're going through a third round of funding and, you know, they burned through $10 million already in the last 18 months and they've made like nothing. So it's like you, you, you've got to really think about how these guys operate and, and how they think in the tech world. We're, we're, you know, is this the pop bubble for the tech world? You know, we, we all thought it might have been the crash of Tesla, right? But Tesla has a little bit more than just a technology company. You know, they have tangible sales. They have assets that they've moved. But for SVB, the, these guys are basically giving debt loans without collateral, without sealing it off and saying, you know, hey, what do you guys have that we can hold in case you do go belly up? And, and they didn't have it. And now so there was lines at SVB's locations in Silicon Valley on Wednesday. People pulling their money out. They're literally lined up outside. So the writing was on the wall. And, and you know, I think I, I want to say it's idiosyncratic. I don't want to say it's systemic like Lehman. Lehman was systemic. There was a bunch of mortgage backed problems. You know, the subprime market was completely disrupted. But really, you know, when you look at this company, this isn't a little bank. This is the second largest bank collapse in the history of the United States. Let's be clear. Lehman had 639 billion in assets. These guys got 211 billion. I mean, I think on paper it was 209 at the end of the day because they lost the 1.8. But but really ultimately it's like what's going to happen with how they're going to shake this all out. I mean, the FDIC came out and uh they they said, you know, all insured depositors will have full access to their insured deposits no later than Monday morning, March 13, 2023. The FDIC will pay uninsured debitors, <clears throat> depositors, and advanced dividends within the next week. So, so wait, they, what does that mean? Because FDIC insurance is only up to two hundred and fifty dollars. So, what does that mean? Uninsured two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But the thing is, is the yeah. FDIC has never denied a claim, no matter the amount. So they say it's only up to two hundred fifty k, but they've always paid out the full amount to any depositor into a bank that's failed. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Wow. So the, the FDIC, that's why everybody loves banking in America, because something collapsed, you're going to get your money no matter what. So it's not like you're over in, you know, Zimbabwe, hoping that you, inflation doesn't, you know, bring a wheelbarrow for a, for a pop, right? Or a soda. You know, it, it's, it's a little interesting to really think about how it's all, all coming together. But, you know, you have the other things that are going on right now. You know, March 8th, Silvergate turns around and they're like, hey, we're going belly up, but we're going to do it slowly. Like, no, you're not going to do it slowly. That's not how the market reacts to things. You announce that you're going to liquidate your assets and you're going to move away from it. Like that hit crypto hard. Crypto was slowly starting to creep back up and boom, that, that announcement comes out. You know, you see everything kind of drop. You know, Bitcoin on that day, I think it was at 23K. Now we're at 19K. Let's see if it stabilizes, goes down. You know, but um, there's a lot of different things that are going on uh, with this whole thing, you know, and is it contagion? You know, let's hope it's not contagion in the market. Like, you know, you have you have First Republic Bank. They opened up today and they crashed. People were like, whoa, First Republic's down 50 percent. This bank's been around mm -hmm. since 1922. Wow. Right. They hold one hundred eighty one billion dollars in assets. And it's not like tech assets. These are like tangible properties. These guys like cross their T's, dot their I's. And that's what kind of threw me off. And I was like, hmm, let's see if First Republic can pull away. But but ultimately, I, I know that, you know, the government's going to pull everybody out of the mess. I mean, they did it in 08. They'll, they'll do it in 23 if it's need be. I mean, we all know that the financial writing on the walls you know, pretty much disastrous. When you when you give away six trillion dollars, you know, you got to figure out where to get it from. So they're going to inflate their way out of it, but they're going to burn some companies on the way out. Right. SVP is one of those companies yeah. or SVB, you know. So let's see, the eighty five hundred employees are, are the ones that, are, you know, I, I would be more concerned about than anybody. These guys are done overnight. And then you've got, you know. 29% of all of all of the deposits in Silicon Valley went to SVB. So do you think this company is actually going to fully shut down? Because um, what they were saying is that the the valuation of the company is changing so fast because they're trying to sell. They've been trying to sell themselves. They've been trying to sell the company and uh, they, they can't value it because it's been changing so fast with these withdrawals that it's proving very hard to actually sell or find a buyer for. Oh, well, that's the whole thing. Who wants to buy something that's in the red? Like not only in the red, but it's, on, you know, it's burning. This is this is a ship that's on fire. And they're like, hey, come buy my ship. It's 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 on fire. Like, no, you know, no, one, no one's going to do that. Even for for let, let's say you were doing 10 percent on the on the asset. Right. So you're still looking at coming in with 20 billion dollars to buy these guys out. You know, who's going to put 20 billion dollars on this fire? Somebody might, I highly doubt it, especially with the, the, like you said, with the treasury notes, you know, an interesting thing is like, uh, 2008, the two year treasury, uh, bond, uh, for, for our money is, uh, declined the most in one day. And the, the, if you go back in history, 2008 was the last time it declined this fast. So it's like, and, you know, you have Powell going, hey, let's raise rates a half a point two days ago, you know. And so so I think that might have been the the motivation. Right. They're like, well, if he's going to raise it again, a half a point, 
are we gonna uh, are we gonna have to sell this at even more of a loss? So they're like, I better get out of it now while we can. And you can see if you zoom in on that graph, Dom, um, you can see where the treasury's just lost uh, lost their their value. Zoom right in on the most recent part of the graph with the mouse and that's uh, zooming out <laughs> opposite direction. There we go. There we go. Yeah, you can see how the treasuries, you know, they're going up, but they just dropped significantly within one day. Um, so they're at, yeah, close to 5% and or at, yeah, over 5% uh, on they, the two year. And yeah. it's dropped down to 4.6. They dropped so, half a point literally in a day. That's, that's a big deal on, on something like that. And so it's interesting too, when you look at, you know, SVB, this started in 1982, they're tech-based, crypto-based, you know, uh, the, the main thing they're invested in are tech and life sciences, right? That's, that's their bread and butter. And, and there's no community there. There's nobody going to call up and say, hey, let me buy some of your paper. Let me clean you up. Let me, let me do what I can. No bank's going to do that. It's it's the tech community. They're all they're running in a circle shooting at each other, you know, and that's the problem with the the, the tech community and banking is that it's all it, it's all air money. It, there's no real tangible assets that back it. So in my mind, it's like, is this the beginning of the bubble? But then you have huge tech companies that really do create super value like Amazon, Facebook, you know, Meta. Like, those, those guys are bringing in monster revenues. So, but I wonder at the same time, is it was this writing on the wall seen by Bezos and, and Zuckerberg when they started laying off people in the right, last? Because they have months. been laying off already, in batches of like ten thousand at a time. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I think I think Amazon's laid off what seventy eight thousand people so far this year. Like yeah. that's that's a huge amount of the workforce. But the job numbers come out this this week, and they're like. The job oh. numbers came out today. There were 311,000 for... Uh, yeah, added. Uh, yeah, and it was predicted it was only going to be 225,000. So yeah, in February, we had a significant about 100,000 or 90,000 more than was predicted. So the economy is might, still pretty hot, you know? That might be the reason the market didn't crash today, right? Yeah, true. And But this is also why they're going to raise rates even more, which is, uh, which is pretty worrying. So... I think um, we should move on to talk about uh, Jerome Powell, what he said uh, to Congress this week. So let's let's give the viewers um, a little bit of an idea of sort of the timeline of what happened, because I know SVB, well, uh, it's a Silicon Valley bank. They lend to a lot of Silicon Valley startups, et cetera. Uh, a lot of you know startups have accounts with them, venture capital companies. And their stock, it was $267 on Wednesday and it's dropped to around $100 now. Do you, do you want to talk about exactly I, like... I mean, the stock was $320 last week. And, and wow. so the, the feds uh, come in today in the morning, the stock drops overnight. It opens up at around $60 a share. It, they literally haul trading at $39.50. The stock dropped from Wednesday to today, 86%. You're talking about a complete collapse of a bank. And when I talk about it's in the top top banks in the country, I mean, they have a $211 billion in assets. The big thing, there's just so much there that, you know, makes you go, is it idiosyncratic or is it systemic? You know, what's going to happen next with uh, with this whole thing? I wanted to reach out to some of the guys I know that run hedge funds. But I was like, I'm not going to do this and ask them if they had exposure because if they did, their heads are 
you know, <laughs> like, yes. that, that yeah. was, that's something I was going to do earlier. And I was like, mm, better, better not. I'll wait till Saturday or Sunday to just to see if they had exposure there. But yeah, it's, it's pretty intense because it's, it's a little tricky on how it happened. Right. So it's not like right. where we have Lehman who's holding a tremendous amount of debt and holding a little bit of assets where it's almost even like, Oh, wait, Lehman had, 619 billion in assets, I think, or six, 639 billion in assets Lehman had. And they had 613 billion in debt, right? So so they're running pretty close to an even balance sheet when they're when they're clearing out their banks at the end of the night. Problem with Lehman was is no one would buy their paper at the end of the night. And all their paper were holding was was the uh mortgages that were basically bad. So this is a little bit different, even though there was some exposure on a lot of different stuff. Yeah. So let's, let's give a little recap or a little synopsis on how this happened. Uh, so people can understand. So basically the basics of it is that, um, Silicon Valley bank and a lot of banks, they invest heavily in treasuries, right? Because they need to put, you know, customers deposit money in the bank. They often buy treasuries with it. And this bank bought a lot of treasury bills over the past year or so at, quite low interest rates, much lower than uh, is common now because the Fed has raised rates so fast. Um, but because the, the Fed raised rates fast, uh, banks have had to increase the interest they pay out on uh, bank accounts. And also many of the customers uh, have had to withdraw money from the bank because their interest has gone up on other loans. So they need more money uh, to pay that interest. Um, and just more money in general because of inflation and you know the general financial situation. So they're faced with a lot of withdrawals. And <clears throat> thus, they needed to sell some of their assets, some of the, the bonds that they bought, the treasury bills, um, because they needed to meet the obligations of withdrawals. But the thing is, their bonds uh, are paying less. So if they sell them at auction, uh, the bonds they currently own pay significantly less interest uh, than the bonds that... Um, you know, if you were to buy a treasury bill now, it's, you know, the six month is paying over 5%. The ones they're holding are not paying anywhere near that much. So if they want to sell them, uh, they actually have to sell them at a discount. So this is what they did. Silicon Valley Bank, they sold $21 billion worth of treasuries, uh, but they were forced to sell them at a $1.8 billion loss um, because they're paying lower interest rates because the Fed has raised interest rates uh, so fast. And this is actually probably going to be a major concern for some other banks as well. You know, if it can hit Silicon Valley Bank, maybe because the fact that a lot of their customers are venture capital companies, you know, uh, startups, they are a bit more, um, how should we say, unstable. They're getting hit, you know, they're, you know, with debt payments and things like that that have increased. Um, but this could even happen to many big names like JP Morgan, Bank of America, et cetera. If they get a lot of uh, withdrawals, they may be forced to sell treasuries that are paying uh, lower interest rates um, at a discount, at, at a loss. Yeah, I, I think like with, with this, the you know the the bigger guys, um, they they had their securities back a little bit more. You get a loan from them, you're you're signing over some collateral to get the money. Um, a lot of the a lot of the money that SVB was putting out was tech money. Uh, that was debt, debt tech money. It wasn't, it wasn't actual equity, you know? So, so people would go to SVB. If you're, if you're a startup tech or mid-level tech, you need more cash. Every tech company always just consumes cash. I mean, 
these guys are cash cows. I know somebody that's doing one right now. They're going through a third round of funding and, you know, they burned through $10 million already in the last 18 months and they've made like nothing. So it's like you, you, you've got to really think about how these guys operate and, and how they think in the tech world. We're, we're, you know, is this the pop bubble for the tech world? You know, we, we all thought it might have been the crash of Tesla. Right. But Tesla has a little bit more than just a technology company. You know, they have tangible sales. They have assets that they've moved. But for SVB. The, these guys are basically giving debt loans without collateral, without sealing it off and saying, you know, hey, what do you guys have that we can hold in case you do go belly up? And, and they didn't have it. And now so there was lines at SVB's locations in Silicon Valley on Wednesday, people pulling their money out. They're literally lined up outside. So the writing was on the wall. And, and you know, I think. I want to say it's idiosyncratic. I don't want to say it's systemic like Lehman. Lehman was systemic. There was a bunch of mortgage-backed problems. You know, the subprime market was completely disrupted. But really, you know, when you look at this company, this isn't a little bank. This is the second largest bank collapse in the history of the United States. Let's be clear. Lehman had $639 billion in assets. These guys got $211 billion. I mean, I think on paper it was 209 at the end of the day because they lost the 1.8. But but really, ultimately, it's like what's going to happen with how they're going to shake this all out? I mean, the FDIC came out and uh, they, they said, you know, all insured depositors will have full access to their insured deposits no later than Monday morning, March 13, 2023. The FDIC will pay uninsured debitors, <clears throat> depositors, and advanced dividends within the next week. So, so wait, they, what does that mean? Because FDIC insurance is only up to two hundred and fifty dollars. So, what does that mean, uninsured? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But the thing is, is the yeah. FDIC has never denied a claim, no matter the amount. So they say it's only up to two hundred fifty k, but they've always paid out the full amount to any depositor into a bank that's failed. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So the, the FDIC, that's why everybody loves banking in America, because something collapsed, you're going to get your money no matter what. So it's not like you're over in, you know, Zimbabwe, hoping that you, inflation doesn't, you know, bring a wheelbarrow for a, for a pop, right? Or a soda. You know, it, it's, it's a little interesting to really think about how it's all, all coming together. But, you know, you have the other things that are going on right now. You know, March 8th, Silvergate turns around and they're like, hey, we're going belly up. But we're going to do it slowly. Like, no, you're not going to do it slowly. That's not how the market reacts to things. You announce that you're going to liquidate your assets and you're going to move away from it. Like that hit crypto hard. Crypto was slowly starting to creep back up and boom, that, that announcement comes out. You know, you see everything kind of drop. You know, Bitcoin on that day, I think was at 23K. Now we're at 19K. Let's see if it stabilizes, goes down, you know, but um there's a lot of different things that are going on uh, with this whole thing, you know, and is it contagion? You know, let's hope it's not contagion in the market. Like, you know, you have you have First Republic Bank. They opened up today and they crashed. People were like, whoa, First Republic's down 50 percent. This bank's been around mm -hmm. since 1922. Wow. Right. They hold one hundred eighty one billion dollars in assets. And it's not like tech assets. These are like tangible properties. These guys like cross their T's, dot their I's. And that's what kind of threw me off. And I was like, hmm, let's see if First Republic can pull away. But but ultimately, I, I know that, you know, the government's going to pull everybody out of the mess.
I mean, they did it in 08. They'll do it in 23 if it's need be. I mean, we all know that the financial writing on the wall is, you know, pretty much disastrous. When you when you give away $6 trillion, you know, you got to figure out where to get it from. So they're going to inflate their way out of it, but they're going to burn some companies on the way out, right? SVP is one of those companies yeah. or SVB, you know. So let's see, the 8,500 employees are, are the ones that, I, you know, I, I would be more concerned about than anybody. These guys are done overnight. And then you've got, you know, 29% of all of all of the deposits in Silicon Valley went to SVB. So do you think this company is actually going to fully shut down? Because um, what they were saying is that the the valuation of the company is changing so fast because they're trying to sell. They've been trying to sell themselves. They've been trying to sell the company. And uh, they, they can't value it because it's been changing so fast with these withdrawals that it's proving very hard to actually sell or find a buyer for. Oh, well, that's the whole thing. Who wants to buy something that's in the red? Like not only in the red, but it's, hot, you know, it's burning. This is this is a ship that's on fire. And they're like, hey, come buy my ship. It's 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 on fire. Like, no, you know, no one no one's going to do that. Even for for let, let's say you were doing 10 percent on the, on the asset. Right. So you're still looking at coming in with twenty billion dollars to buy these guys out. You know, who's going to put twenty billion dollars on this fire? Somebody might. I highly doubt it, especially with the, the like you said, with the Treasury notes. You know, an interesting thing is like uh, 2008, the two year Treasury uh, bond uh, for for our money is uh, declined. The most in one day, the, the, if you go back in history, 2008 was the last time it declined this fast. So it's like, and, and you know, you have Powell going, hey, let's raise rates a half a point two days ago, you know. And so so I think that might have been the the motivation, right? They're like, well, if he's going to raise it again a half a point, are we going to uh, are we going to have to sell this at even more of a loss? So they're like, I better get out of it now while we can. And you can see if you zoom in on that graph, Dom, um, you can see where the Treasury has just lost uh, lost their their value. Zoom right in on the most recent part of the graph with the mouse and uh, that's zooming out <laughs> opposite direction. There we go. There we go. Yeah, you can see how the Treasury is, you know, they're going up, but they just dropped significantly within one day. Um, so they're at, yeah, close to 5%. And or at, yeah, over 5% uh, on the two-year, and yeah. it's dropped down to 4.6. They drop so. half a point literally in a day. That's that's a big deal on, on something like that. And so it, it's interesting, too, when you look at you know SVB. This started in 1982. They're tech-based, crypto-based. You know, uh, the, the main thing they're invested in are tech and life sciences, right? That's That's their bread and butter. And, and there's no community there. There's nobody going to call up and say, hey, let me buy some of your paper. Let me clean you up. Let me let me do what I can. No bank's going to do that. It's it's the tech community. They're all they're running in a circle shooting at each other. You know, and that's the problem with the, the, the tech community and banking is that it's all it, it's all air money. It, there's no real tangible assets that back it. So. In my mind, it's like, is this the beginning of the bubble? But then you have huge tech companies that really do create super value, like Amazon, Facebook, 
you know, meta, mm -hmm. like, those, those guys are bringing in monster revenues. So, but I wonder at the same time, is it was this writing on the wall seen by Bezos and, and Zuckerberg when they started laying off people in the right, last because they have been laying off already in batches of like 10,000 at a time, <clears throat> right? Yeah, I think I think Amazon's laid off what 78,000 people so far this year, like yeah. that's that's a huge amount of the workforce. But the job numbers come out this this week and they're like, the job oh. numbers came out today, there were 311,000 for uh, yeah, added. Uh, yeah, and it was predicted it was only going to be two hundred and twenty-five thousand. So yeah, and in I February, we had a significant about a hundred thousand or ninety thousand more than was predicted. So the economy that, is still pretty hot, you know. That might be the reason the market didn't crash today, right? Yeah, yeah true. And but this is also why they're going to raise rates even more, which is uh, which is pretty worrying. So I think um, we should move on to talk about uh, Jerome Powell, what he said uh, to Congress this week. So Jerome Powell has said that interest rates may go up faster uh, than previously thought. The real question is, is how fast can they go up before the whole banking sector collapses on itself? That's right. Well, we've seen what that's done to Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, rising interest rates have been a key component in their collapse this week because their original bonds that they bought over the last few years we're not paying as much as the new bonds available at auction now. So when they had to sell those bonds, um, they were worth less uh, because they pay less interest. So they made a $1.8 billion loss. But um, this week, Jerome Powell, actually, he was in um, he was in Congress two days this week. Uh, and in that hearing, he, he made this statement. Let me read out uh, basically a direct quote. He said, the latest economic data have come in stronger than expected. Uh, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. If the totality of the data were to indicate faster tightening than is warranted, uh, we would be prepared to increase the pace. Sorry, I got that wrong. If the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we would be prepared to increase the rate of rate hikes. And so most Analysts are thinking that they're going to raise by half percentage points now rather than uh, 25 basis points like they have done, I think, on the most recent um, rate hike. Right. Yeah. He's talking about 50 basis points. And and the reality is, is, you know, is he trying to basically get us out of inflation, right? He's trying to raise the rates to, to make sure that he covers for the six trillion that uh, was spent over the pandemic. And the truth of the matter is, is like, does it really affect us of course it affects us and, and the thing is is when you go to buy a car your interest rates up right now you go to buy a house your interest rates up he's really taking the money from them from the american people and you you got other countries like, like canada it's like no 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 we're not raising interest rates and then you've got brazil who's like we're gonna lower the interest rates so it's like what's really happening on a global scale and how much is our money going to be worth? Does that, is that going to start affecting like all kinds of stuff, you know? Yeah, it was interesting. Like, I think it was Elizabeth Warren who was, who was questioning him, who, you know, she doesn't necessarily always have the best economic ideas, but she was saying, you know, you're raising rates. What about the tens of thousands of workers that are going to get laid off because of your rate hikes? Because the Fed is trying to solve inflation by sort of bringing on a recession they hope for a soft landing, a recession that's sort of not too bad, but they might not be able to achieve it. We may end up with a hard landing. Well, it, it gets it gets rough when we start to export our goods 
and people have to start using our currency, right? And, and they're coming in with yuan, they're coming in with, you know, Australian dollars, Canadian dollars, pesos, they're worth less. So they're doing the same work, but it's worth less. And we're the only ones in the in the world, you know, jacking up rates. Not saying we're the only ones. Europe's pretty much on the ball with it too. But we're we're going as fast as anybody else in the world right now, unless there's some no-name country. But when it comes to the G7, G20, we're leading right. we're leading the trudge out of the out of the mud. And uh, it's gonna be interesting here in the next 12 months. And you know, for those in the audience who maybe aren't as familiar with this, like when you raise interest rates, um, it causes people to invest in stocks less because things like government treasuries, um, you know, bonds, uh, bank accounts, just saving bank accounts pay higher interest rates. So people tend to take their money out of the market and put it into things like government treasuries, bonds and bank accounts when interest rates are higher. Uh, also with uh, home refinances, no one's going to refinance their home and pull cash out when rates are this high. Um, you know, last year you could do a refinance for like 3.2% and, uh, pull out your equity and use that to invest or buy a vacation home or a rental home or whatever. Uh, so no one's, gonna, no one's really going to be doing that now. So it, it, it constricts economic activity. And basically the idea of it is it kind of causes a recession. Um, and the they idea is to bring, go ahead. You know, they kind of need the recession. Like they're, how are they going to fight this, this inflation? Inflation. Yeah, to bring on deflation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, but how, what was inflation used in the 80s? How did they measure it? Didn't they change how they measured it? That's right. So, yeah, we've got that actually. Um, Dom, if you pull up the shadow stats link, um, and, and possibly because Jerome Powell knows how high inflation really is, I mean, they're saying it's 6% now. But if you use the method that they used um, in the 80s, or, well, in, in the 90s, it's higher. Or if you use the method that they used in the 80s, it's higher still. Um, so if we look at the 19, uh, 1980 base method, um, inflation would be at about 15%. Yeah, about 15%. Uh, that lower graph on there, you can just scroll down a little bit. Um, the blue line on that graph um, would be using the 1980s. And the reason, you know, the way that it's changed the way they work it out is right now they account for substitution. So they measure a basket of goods and then they think that when prices rise, um, you know, let's say you would originally buy organic eggs and now eggs are getting expensive. So they, uh, so you start buying regular eggs. Well, you know, they, they assume that people are changing their spending habits to account for the inflation. So they use that in the, uh, in the example, you know, and so it, it lessens the amount that goods have gone up by because they account for this substitution. But actually, if you were measuring the exact same basket of goods, um, inflation has gone up, you know, double or more. Yeah. And it, it, you can actually, when you hear 15%, you're like, okay, that actually feels real. When someone yeah. tells me inflation's gone up 6%, and, you know, I'm getting a car loan at 7.9 and, the last time I got a car loan, it was at 1.9 or 0.9. Uh, I, I kind of look at it and go, yeah, this is this is way more uh, offset than anything else that's going on. So if eggs are going to 
$7 a carton. They're like, nah, we don't need eggs anymore. No one eats eggs. We'll just put a bottle of water in there instead. I'm, I'm boycotting eggs. eggs, man. I'm buying these tiny quail's eggs. You know, they're about this big. Um, <laughs> but also, yeah, you can see it. Get my own eggs. <laughs> you can see it in the supermarket. You can see it at the gas pump. Gas here in New York was 230. Now it's closer to 350. So that's sort of like a 50%, um, you know, increase as well. Uh, so, you know, when you, when you actually look at it and add it up, you're like, inflation's running higher than 6%. Oh yeah. yeah. There's, there's no question about it's higher than 6%. I mean, more new mortgages right now are at a 30 year low. They're almost at a 40 year low. And the last time that that happened was in the early eighties when you had applications, right? Yeah. Applications. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, going back to 1985, when you had interest rate, you know, you had interest of 14, 15% and there's advertisements that are like, that's a good deal, you know, or, but that's when your parents and, you know, your grandparents said, well, why don't we just get a savings account? Now you think of a savings account, you're like, I might as well throw my money away. You're getting, you know, half of a percentage point if you're lucky, you know, back then you'd get 5%. Yeah. You know, so it was one third of the going rate for a savings account. I can remember in 2007, actually getting 6% wow. in a savings account. Yeah. Where was that at? That was in the UK. Maybe the US was a little lower than that, but, you know, around 5% or so was quite common back then, 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, I don't know if we'll ever see it go that high. I mean, we, we have a CDs that are starting to get back up there right now. There are some um, savings accounts that are at 4% already. Oh, okay. Well, then they're yeah. moving. I, yeah, I yeah there are. CDs are holding a little bit of cash. So th that's always an advantage. You can play it to your, you know, play it to whatever card you want. But let's just hope that uh, SVB is not systemic and Jerome Powell doesn't bring on the, the thunderstorm we don't need right now. Yeah. You know, by, by altered statistics and, you know, anybody's graph can change anybody's, you know, perception of data. That's the biggest thing about how money gets so dirty is they go, Oh, you know, let's look at it over the course of one day. Well, we'll look at the stock over the course of the entire lifetime, see what happened, measure it against that. Look at, look at inflation rates with a real perspective. Stop changing the goods you're going to put in. If you're going to measure with eggs and milk, you're going to measure, measure with eggs and milk. Don't change the eggs to quail eggs. Like you said, you know, <laughs> like, just leave them the way they are. So at least we have a base to walk on, you know? So that, that's the big fight that I think we're, we're, we're going against right now is like, you know, the money's been altered since 1913 when, when they came in and started hammering us with the federal reserve and the income tax and all that. Like, how can we, how can we, you know, antagonize the people enough to make them believe that this is legitimized and we need it? You know, right now, a free market enterprise does not exist in the banking sector at all. There is, there is none of that. And yeah, and so I think Jerome Powell knows how manipulated it is. So he knows that the real inflation rate is quite a lot higher, which is probably why I believe probably next, uh, next rate hike really will be uh, 50 basis points. Yeah, well then, who's dumping their treasury notes then? You know, who's next? If it goes yeah. up another fifty basis points, what do you think? Second quarter, third quarter? You know, he said before. What do you say before the end of the year? It's going to go up fifty. Um, well, you know, he said in increments of fifty. So in theory, at the next Fed meeting, uh, they might raise it another fifty. When are they meeting again? Do we know? 
Uh, yeah, the meetings are on the schedule. Um, we can look it up, but I think it's yeah. when. I'm yeah, here's curious. the calendar. When are they gonna? When are they meeting again? Is he gonna hit 50 base points after this news? Do you think he'll do it still? Well, they're meeting. Yeah, in March uh, 21st, 22nd, and then they have a meeting in May. So, so I'm, I'm guessing probably they are gonna raise by 50. By 50 base points on the 22nd, 12 days after after the collapse of the second largest bank. <laughs> well, who knows? The way things are running right now, anything could happen, dude. I, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. You know, like nothing like blowing a trillion dollars this year. We'll just add 20% to that. No problem. 1.2 FDIC. But, um, let's, uh, let's move on to something that's a little bit more lighthearted and fun. Because uh, we have been a little bit doom and gloom so far on this episode. I, I uh, mean. <laughs> we're going to be looking at this. Uh, it's a bit of a lighthearted story. Chris Rock's Netflix special. How much money he earned. Uh, and then some of the sort of the background and stories about it. It's quite interesting. So he, he supposedly is earning $40 million <laughs> for these two Netflix specials. One of which already came out. Um, and I watched it. I think you watched it as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, a selective outrage. I, I, I had, I didn't really know what to expect. I, you know, a part of me was hoping Kanye was in the audience and he was going to get smacked again, you know. But you know, no Kanye in the audience. But it would have been pretty good if it had came out. So it, this is the first time where he went in on uh, Will Smith. He did, after, yeah. He did mention it, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, at the end of the show, he was just like, you know, he called him out and. And basically, the the whole the whole seventy minute special ended up being uh, a selective outrage, and he and he closes with basically saying Will Smith is selective outrage, right? And and it's kind of interesting when you really think about it because he's he's not going against anybody's the opinions, social beliefs, uh, religion, none of that. He's just saying like, if you're gonna be mad about something, be consecutive about your anger. Don't just, just yeah. yeah, yeah, just, just, just be normal. Consistent, be consistent. Yeah, yeah, be consistent. And so that that was his big thing. On the on the other side of the money money side is this guy gets forty million dollars for two seventy minute segments. We don't know what the next one, but like in seventy minutes. So this guy made two hundred eighty five thousand dollars a minute, and he made he made. What forty five hundred dollars a second for that live show? Now you know. I guess you can incorporate. You know how long did he write it out? How long did it take? But that's a lot. I mean, of it, yeah, it probably took him a few weeks to write the scripts and stuff. But you know, for the actual intense performance, it was only a bit over two hours, right? Two and a half hours or three hours. Well, you know, for the two specials combined. So it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean that's a good deal. Considering Chris Rock's net worth sixty million dollars, I mean he just got one third of his net worth in one one show. <laughs> He's up to a hundred million now, right? Yeah, well, they, I don't know how he gets paid or when it gets paid, but from what he said, he pays every every dollar he's earned, he spent on women. So he's pretty broke, according to him. That was in the special, you know. I'm just saying that was that okay. Was where it's not. Mine. I didn't. I didn't get to that part yet. I'm I'm halfway through. Oh, <laughs> it gets. It, I, it's as vulgar as it starts as it ends. But he does he does keep mentioning his ex-wife and and his I loved the part about his kids, about how he talks about his uh he's rich but he identifies as poor. 
and uh, his kids are just rich. <laughs> they don't know what it's like to live in the hood. Yeah, I, I, I want to identify a lot of different ways, but it's not allowed on paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> so one one thing, though, was really cool. Um, let's let's break it down a little bit, because it's funny how Netflix, you know, they uh, they've kind of been uh, called out over the past year for their wokeness. Um, give you a few examples, uh, Dom, if you can open the link. So we got this cuties uh, show that was oh, on man. Netflix, which is heavily criticized um, because it supposedly sexualized young girls. So you had, um, it was like about a, t a group of t uh, cheerleaders or dancers and you had young girls like twerking, 11 year olds twerking in the show. And it caused cancel Netflix to, you know, hashtag cancel Netflix to trend on Twitter. And uh, I think in one earnings call last year, second quarter, maybe it was, uh, they'd lost 200,000 subscribers and their stock dropped 37 percent so it's the whole uh it's the whole get woke go broke uh kind of thing going on and it really caused a big outrage um and then he had elon musk out there i got another uh link with elon's tweet in there dom um that he he said uh woke mind virus is making netflix unwatchable um i guess it wasn't just this cuties show but a lot of the other you know content on netflix was definitely kind of taking that that tune. So it seems that Netflix have, uh, I don't think it's necessarily a, a moral thing that they really believe in Chris Rock's, uh, you know, message about yeah. selective outrage, but they know they need to turn things around. Yeah. Who, who knows what they really believe in? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a company, you're chasing dollars. So it, it's whatever's going to make you the most money. You know, you got Warner owns HBO and, and has a lot of different, uh, shows on there they go back and forth so i think netflix is starting to you know right the ship a little bit because they yeah. want to financially focus on what's going to make the money and you know i've had this conversation with people in media before and said you know i understand that you might want to approach the the left this way but you're missing out half the country you might as well try to sell the right some content too then you're going to make more money it just makes sense you know so it's sort of um in Chris Rock's uh, his performance as well, it seemed though like he was he was trying to appeal to both the left and the right, um, because when he talked about his view on abortion, you know, he was like, "I'm pro-choice and pro-life." You know, I'm I'm pro I'm pro-life for my daughters' lives because uh, I got two beautiful daughters, but um, I support you know women's uh, choice to to. And then he said, "Women's choice to kill their babies." Very you know, very direct. Yeah. yeah don't don't get it wrong you're still killing a baby you know and he, he said that directly so it's like you know it was very it was legit oh, what he said i mean it was, like again it was vulgar. but then he also said he paid for more abortions than most women so. he said he, he said he had a card there he got a free smoothie at the end punch of card it. yeah because <laughs> he paid for oh, so many then he brings up the craziness of like can they do it up until the age of four and i was like whoa are you advocating for killing a child now like what the <laughs> Like what are you? I think thinking? that was a, just a joke. <laughs> well, I, I get it was just a joke, but that's a pretty outrageous joke, right? It was outrageous, wasn't it? It was outrageous. Yeah. I mean, like, whoa! Even just saying it, you know, I've got a kid, and and it's like, you know, you're you're like, whoa, okay, all right, we'll just uh, we'll keep watching, you yeah. know, and then recognize it's satire, but 
So it's it's interesting though that some people who you wouldn't necessarily associate them with being like right wing, they're sort of calling the left out on the mistakes it's made over the past year with the whole wokeness thing. But then they're still saying like, oh, you know, we're pro-life or we support, you know, trans or or whatever. Like they're not totally going conservative. They're sort of like bringing it back to the middle is sort of the impression that I got. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I kind of agree with it to some extent. Like, why are you going crazy one side or the other? Like, yes, humans, a human, whatever they choose, they choose. Like uh, there's, I have other views on other things, but, you know, don't treat people. It's kind of like be a centrist was sort of the message. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's a decent message at the end of the day is like, why, why are you going from, from one extreme to the next? You know, there, yeah. there's extremes on both sides of the spectrum. I, I really try to just stay away from it and focus on what's making money and what's not. But at the end of the day, it's, it's something that, you know, you have to be aware of. I thought one of the really funny things was when he talked about Lululemon and they're like, oh, we have a little sign in our window that says we don't support racism. We don't hate anyone. And then he's like, you're selling hundred dollar yoga pants. You hate someone. You hate the poor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That, that, that's a hundred percent true. I mean, everyone hates someone. You know? Yeah. Right. That, that, that's exactly it. And, and, and then he said, and then he said, everyone in the audience, I can guarantee that you would prefer a pair of $20 racist yoga pants to your hundred dollar non-racist yoga pants. Yeah. And he got a clap and a laugh out of that one, you know? So, so it's pretty interesting to think about it. Uh, You know, I was kind of just, it's mind blowing that, you know, there's certain aspects of that skit where you're like, this makes sense. Right. Because he, yeah. he really focuses on what's a tangible issue to every every culture, every person. Everybody cares about money. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You know, like you work for money. You wake up in the morning. You have to eat. You need the money to eat. You know, the that's that's the reality of it. Hey, there's some Lululemon pants. It's a million <laughs> dollars. Yeah. Are those the men's yoga pants? Is that what we're looking at here, Dom? Yeah, these are men yoga pants. What wow. do you, how much are they? A million dollars? Yeah. $80 for this middle pair here. $80? Well, yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. $108. So, so, right. Yeah, they're not Gucci pants that are $708 or Prada, but, you know, they're also not Walmart, uh, George brand for seven bucks. You, you know, so it's like, you just got to look at it fundamentally. I think Lululemon's probably one of the best uh marketing companies that ever came out right they're not racist mike that's what's important that i agree don't be racist lulu (laughs) (laughs) you know but uh, but really like they're elitist though oh absolutely they support you know you go to the gym in your 108 dollar yoga pants it's interesting they chose 108 too it's like how how does that number play into the number or something well, you know the the Chinese use use a hundred and is like a you know a very uh, large number, large number, yeah. but it but it's also has some spiritual aspects to it as well. I mean, it's nine from, times nine. You know, nine times nine, yeah, eighty one. But but also oh, it's not from, nine. To, oh, it's not nine times nine. Okay, I got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nine times nine is eighty one. But but something you think about is like you go from the moon to the Earth. 
or no, it's from the sun to the earth. You can fit 108 earths between the sun and the moon. And then you can go from, uh, I want to say it was from the moon to the earth. You can fit like 108 moons or something, something like that. So it's pretty interesting when you, when you look at that number, you're like, Hey, it's 108. So yeah. Well, uh, talking of big numbers, let's move on to our next story, uh, which is about some really big numbers. How much uh, human trafficking is worth? How much money it's making? And this is very topical because we had an incident a few days ago where two Americans, well, four Americans were kidnapped last week or earlier this week um, as they crossed the border from Brownville, Texas into Mexico. They were going for a medical procedure there. Uh, kind of medical tourism. They were kidnapped by the cartels and two of them were actually killed. Uh, One of them, I believe, was injured as well. Um, And human trafficking, it is a huge industry. Isn't that right, Mike? Oh, enormous. I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of money that flows through that industry every year, every day, every minute, every second. Um, I mean, it's the oldest business on the planet, right? And uh, we, yeah, we have some statistics here. It's worth something like $22 million a day just in Texas. Yeah. Um, Texas is one of the heaviest uh, trafficking places. You know, Brownsville is where these guys came from. Uh, I know a team of people that have been working on, uh, they were covering the border before doing a documentary. And it turns out that they ended up, uh, it turned into a human trafficking thing because that's the biggest business along the border right now. People think it's drugs and yeah, there, there is a lot of drugs, but it's, it's hand in hand with each other is the human trafficking. And when you really look at it fundamentally, you know, the product can just be resold. So it's not like drugs where you sell it, it's consumed. It's like they can resell the same human every, you know, throughout the night. It's unless it's terminated. Right. It sounds horrible. Just saying it. But like yeah. the, the the human life is so just not thought of in that world. You have these traffickers all over the world, and, and you know every twenty six seconds there's a kid that goes into child slavery. And so it's like that's that's intense in and of itself. That's a that's absolutely insane. So it's like that's worldwide. And, and the estimates for it, you know, I've heard people say that it's $150 billion a year industry. And then I've heard people say it's up to $499 billion a year industry in the world. You know, that puts it as, as, you know, one of the top businesses, I wouldn't say it's a lot more. Uh, When you really think about it, how do you, how do you calculate illegal business? Right. And, and actually put real numbers behind it. If, if there's some estimates at four hundred ninety nine billion dollars a year, like let's 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 it's probably a bit more because that's just stuff that they're able to track. You know, yeah. it's like how much drugs are coming across the border. Well, you could probably go down any major street in the United States and find some illicit drugs. Right. Someone's using someone's selling. Um, and that's not calculated. They're just calculating what comes across the border. So. They're using estimations based on on that, what they seize. So it's like these are estimations based on how many people that they find in, uh, you know, human trafficking things. So it's really, you know, it's hard to even understand. But, you know, 80 percent of everybody that's trafficked are women. So 
so it's like the the who's trafficking the women well men are you know like who's who's the one taking control of this and it's a really dark corridor to walk down you know it's it gets to be pretty pretty horrific the majority of it is of forced sex slavery isn't it right yeah exactly then that's that's the really where it comes into and you know the average age is 12 to 14 years old where the where they're getting picked up in traffic and and it's it's pretty insane i mean there's there's areas in texas that are just so known for it you can park your car and you can hear the screams in the middle of the night you know like you can go to go to certain you know eagles pass texas and you know that this is a really crazy pace the thing that really blows my mind is that the cartels released this letter saying we're sorry you know like that's right they apologized and they said that it was a kind of a rogue faction within them um and but this was this was after uh senator lindsey graham he was said he was prepared to introduce legislation to quote set the stage for u.s military force uh, to be used in mexico so this is what he wrote he said i will i would put or this is what he said on uh, in an interview he said i would put mexico on notice if you continue to give a safe haven to drug dealers uh then you're an enemy of the united states uh and he's trying to yeah he's trying to introduce legislation to us the us military to actually go after the cartels which uh to be honest i think should have been done a long time ago i mean oh yeah it's basically the cartels are basically a foreign terrorist group that's operating right on the border. Uh, we should have, in my opinion, we should have sent the military in years ago and just created a buffer zone inside Mexico um, to just police, you know, just police it like we did in Afghanistan, like we did in you know other places. Say, so, sorry guys, if you can't be trusted to get rid of these cartels, uh, we're coming into your country and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but I guess they don't because certain people in the government are actually in on the whole thing yeah well the d it's kind of like the dmz in korea right we need that 10 miles where it's like nobody's allowed 100 miles (laughs) yeah right (laughs) but but fundamentally whose pockets are getting filled from it you know there there's all these reports from from different sources saying you know where does where does the money really go to the mexican government i mean the the fish and wildlife uh person that that ran fish and wildlife in mexico up until recently they were there for like 30 or 40 years this exact same person and these are the guys importing and exporting fish out of the country and it's like yeah what are you really doing buddy you know what are you what are you exporting in and out of this country and it's 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 appalling to think but here the cartel is like oh let's send out a letter like there's some like credible uh government or credible like institution like is are we dealing with the <laughs> taliban here that's or the other we... funny thing isn't it it's like oh you send out a letter saying oh we're sorry we sorry kidnapped and killed your people it's like you're a cartel you shouldn't exist in the first place right why, why would we accept your apology yeah. thanks we appreciate your apology continue on with your illicit activities and murdering people on a daily basis like well, who's, the, who's to say that those are even the actual people that committed the kidnapping true yeah yeah well the cartels do it anyway though so like we yeah. know that for sure there's a reason chapo's in prison sinaloa and uh, the zetas and and you know all these cartels are at each other's throats and and they're being constantly raided by you know the federales in mexico uh so it's like even if they weren't 
part of the cartel or they were a rogue, rogue group. Like, what? What? A, no, no, thank you. I don't accept that. You know, the, the, I mean, the, it, the cartel. The cartel could have been behind it, but then they could have just decided, all right, we're just going to say that these guys were a rogue group. And apparently they've done this before, actually. They've apologized before for things, um, just as a sort Aww. of public relations <laughs> thing. Well, they, got, they got a PR person. That's, that's you know, <laughs> it blows my mind. You know, I'm like, is this Lucky Luciano before 1940s when he went over and saw Mussolini and lived out his years in Sicily? Like, hmm, that's another story for dirty money. Um so, you know, it's interesting to think about the organized crime and, and, you know, the tolerance levels of it from different governments, right? You know, that's, that's really what we're doing is we're tolerating this for whatever reason we deem it worthy. Um, we're, we're willing to go into to Iraq and to Afghanistan to, to take out their injustices that are taking place uh, you know, on the other side of the world, really not affecting any U.S. citizens. Yeah. And here, it's... I mean, it's, it's you can good. say the same thing about Ukraine. You know, we're spending... Uh, we appropriated $113 billion for Ukraine to aid, you know, Ukrainians, but we're not using our military uh, to aid people who are suffering here in the U.S. and just over the border, so... Yeah, yeah. and that's that's the reality that we face is why. And I don't think there's any one answer to it, but ultimately Lindsey Graham's, you know, I agree with this stance. Like, you know, let's, let's take in, let's take action. Let's make initiatives to deter, you know, the loss of human life. That's what's, you know, the most valuable thing on the planet is human life. So how do we, how do we become successful in, in stopping the, the slaughter of, of people and, and trafficking and stuff like that? It's just, it's a really dark, dingy world, you know, and and we live here in America where 99% of the time you don't even think about it. It's not in the news. It's not going to hit it. Luckily, we, we were able to show a little bit of news about it um, recently with this, you know, but a lot of the time you don't hear about the kids that are lost. You don't hear about the people that are that are risking their lives to stop trafficking that are on the streets and in places like Houston and Miami and LA where, where you have all these huge border cities or close to the border cities that are really partaking in, in the actual business of it, you know, and you can trace the, you can trace the money back. It gets pretty scary. You know, the more you dig into it, the more I think you've got to watch behind your back. And so ultimately yeah, it's good to good to pay attention. So let's just hope that the cartel uh, does more than just apologize. Maybe they'll disintegrate themselves, dissolve it. You know, they'll dissolve their assets. Here you guys go. We're all done. You know, I maybe the U.S. military really will go in. Yeah, we'll see. You we'll know, I think. Hope. Yeah, I think if if that was going to take place, it would have to be done by the commander in chief. He would have to take action. You know, the Congress is not about to declare war on the cartels. What I think is really scandalous is that Biden wants to raise your taxes. I don't think he's necessarily going to succeed, will he, Mike? Uh, we'll see. I mean, it'd be hard to get through the Congress to, to make it actually move. Uh, the House, I think, will shoot it down. House will shoot it down. The Senate is uh, not even really that reliably controlled by Democrats anymore, is it? No, not not after uh, some recent bills that were shot down as well. The ESG you know? thing. The, yeah. Uh, 
That yeah, one, that I think they voted uh, 50 to 40, was it 46? Six? Yeah. Yeah, 50 to 46. Manchin and one other Democrat sided with Republicans. And then you had uh, the guy from Pennsylvania is not even there at the moment, is he? He's not even voting. Same with Dan well, Feinstein. Uh, he, he said he's taking a break. You know, no, I don't <laughs> know what he said. <laughs> himself into rehab or something. Yeah, anyway, right. Um, so let's talk about what Biden wants to do though, because he just came out with his 2024 budget. Um, now this particular budget, uh, looking at the uh, tax foundation, um, Dom, you can open the tax foundation link if you want. Um, so looking at the tax foundation's analysis of it, it's $4.7 trillion worth of tax increases over 10 years. Uh, that is offset by 895 billion in tax credits. So that's basically redistribution of wealth. Um, so you get sort of a, a total of around 3.8 trillion um but yeah increasing the amount of tax people pay by uh, 4.7 trillion and then dishing some of that out to people on the lower end of the income spectrum um but only about 20 percent of it um would be given back to people the rest of it is just to try and balance the budget um so let's actually have a look through we can we can check out some of the uh some of the tax hikes that are coming in. Um, I think we can sort of, uh, we can sort of pick the ones that we think are significant. Um, so one of the ones I thought was, you know, quite significant is that uh, Biden wants to tax capital gains as income if you earn more than a million dollars a year, um, which is actually a pretty huge increase because, um, he, so he wants to increase the capital gains rate from 20%. Uh, so capital gains, if you don't know, it's if you hold a stock for longer than a year and then you sell it, or if you hold property for longer of a year than a sell it, um, or if you have what's called qualified dividends that, you, you know, dividends from stocks you've held, uh, not for quite a year, but for the long term, um, you get taxed at 20%, or the maximum rate you can get taxed at is 20%. Um, but in this new plan, uh, Biden wants to raise that rate to 39.6%, which is the, uh, the highest tax break uh, before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 brought it down to 37. Uh, and then on top of that, he wants to raise the, uh, the um, what's it called, the net investment income tax as well, um, from 3.8% to 5%. So that would mean people who are, you know, earning more than a million dollars a year would have to pay 44.6% in federal taxes, and then adding on, uh, you know, um, state taxes on top of that, if you live somewhere that charges high state taxes like New York, California, et cetera, you're going to be paying over 50% in tax. And this is on investment income, which is not wages from a job. So it's money that's already been taxed and then it's invested. And the income from that is going to be taxed at sky high rates. So um, that's definitely one that I think is very significant. And, you know, you may think, oh, it's only rich people that you know, get hit with it. But obviously, it's the rich people that own all of the businesses and everything. So they're just going to pass on the cost of it to the price of the products or the hotels or the, you yeah, know, passing the buck and to the next things they sell. Running. Yeah, the rents of the people the landlords are renting out to. Um, so that's something very significant. I mean, the whole thing is Biden didn't want to raise taxes on people earning less than $400,000 a year, which sounds great. But by doing all this thing to the higher levels, uh, he's kind of stealth taxing people who earn less than $400,000 a year anyway. Um, so, yeah, 
it's the, the the truth is is if this was to go through you know everybody that earns over 400k a year they're going to find some way to defer the payments whether they use a 1031 on their real estate however they however they can defer it the best way they will yeah uh, Move i mean to puerto rico yeah, right. Go to Puerto Rico. I mean, or, or de denounce your U.S. citizenship. Spend 179 days in the U.S. as a non-citizen. You know, you're yeah. on vacation. So it's it's really the it's just going to create more people to pull their funding away from uh, the United States and to to try to hide it more and more and more. The it's not going to pass. I mean. That, that's the biggest thing is that he's trying to hit the upper echelon, which, you know, fundamentally, when you look at it, you're like, all right, they have more, let's take more. But really, those people might have then turned around and said, all right, well, your Christmas bonus is now a fraction of what it was last year. Hope you enjoy it. You know, and then that's where you start seeing, you know, uh, an effect on the next person in line. So again, it's the redistribution of wealth, and who who gets the eight point who gets the eight hundred ninety five billion in tax credits? I'm really curious about those companies, you know. Cause well, this is um, the tax credits. So it would be the child tax credit uh, would increase from two thousand to three thousand six hundred, um, and then there's uh, there's a load of entitlements. Basically, it's just it's earned income tax credit. It's it's the tax credits you get when you don't earn much money. Uh, but some of these things are crazy. Like when I was earning, um, you know, around uh, $40,000 a year, uh, about six or seven years ago, I discovered that when you do your taxes, you get money just given to you that you don't know why it comes from these tax credits. Uh, and I didn't need it. I just got, I, I remember one year I, I got $5,000 just given to me uh, and I spent it on business class flights to Europe. Which is, in my mind, that's the craziest thing. Uh, well, actually, no, it wasn't to Europe. It was from London to Israel. I went to attend a wedding in Israel, and I was going to London already. So I spent it on a literally business class flight for me and the family uh, with fully flat beds <laughs> on Swiss Airlines. And that was my you know, tax refund that I didn't even know why I was getting. <laughs> so it just illustrates to you the, the waste, like, in this like i mean it's great to help people out who actually need it but you know what you could help people out by just reducing all the taxes in the first place um in my opinion nobody who pays even one penny in taxes should be getting any kind of credit we should reduce their tax credit for, uh, reduce their taxes in the first place so they keep more of their own money so we don't have to process their money and then give it back to them yeah we're um, wasting money to process money that we want to give back to them to begin with it's like yeah we, let's go back to 1912 when there was no income tax, the United States functioned for 130 years with no income tax. Probably yeah. want to look at that 130 years and see how well we functioned. Pretty good. Problem is, once you get hooked on something like right now, we're basically hooked on entitlements and welfare. Um, it's hard to it's hard to well, get rid of it. You know? Well, you could still, I think you could still generate some income uh, from taxing other things like sales tax, uh, bringing in and importing, importing goods to the United States was the number one tax before 1912. That's how we function. Yeah. You know? Oh, and another thing is that you can also increase tax revenues, not by raising taxes, but by stimulating the economy instead through actually lowering taxes or deregulating so that more financial activity is able to happen. Um, people are going to start more businesses and generate more wealth. 
And then even though you're taxing at the lower rate, um, you know, there's something called the Laffer curve that you probably know about, uh, which shows the sort of balance between tax rates and tax revenues. And it's not always the highest tax rate equals the highest tax revenue. Because when you raise taxes too high, rich people leave, like you were talking about, right? They go yeah. to Puerto Rico or they go overseas or they don't bother to start that business they were going to start. Um, but if you if you lower taxes, there we go. Yeah, there's the Laffer curve. And so there's a sweet spot. And so what we should be doing, we shouldn't just be raising or lowering taxes from our ideological standpoint, right? The Republicans are often doing it just ideologically. They want to lower taxes. The Democrats ideologically want to raise it and, you know, and spend we should actually be scientifically just looking at, all right, what level of taxation brings us in the absolute optimum amount? And there have been studies um, that have found that actually it's around 33% is is sort of the rate, you know, when you're taxing people at a maximum rate of around 33%, brings in the highest level of revenue. And in this new budget, he's talking about taxing rich people at 44.6%, you know, so clearly that's not going to bring in um, the highest level of tax revenue because people are going to leave or not do business or whatever. Um, so, yeah, well, I mean, the, whatever, whatever is the curve that can create the best revenue for, for the country is probably the best, but fundamentally uh, over-regulation just creates more costs because then you have to hire committees. I mean, 1922, 1921, first, first serious recession based on the stock market, and then, you know, they create a committee. Who's paying the committee? Where's all the money come from? You know, like you, whenever a committee is involved, it's always bad news. Yeah, it's like the board that, you know, I wonder who sits on the board, goes to three meetings a year and gets $270,000 a year for being on the board of that committee. You know, some ridiculous amounts. You know, when you when you think about Fauci was the highest paid employee of the United States government at one point. Like what? He was. Yeah. You know, so it's like mm, the money. Uh, but I think if we were to actually go back to less taxation, we wouldn't have as much to talk about on dirty money. We'd have to call it clean <laughs> money or something. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but luckily, you know, for the viewers and, and for us, uh, it looks like this thing probably isn't going to pass. Um, but it kind of sets the scene for negotiations for raising the debt ceiling later this year with the Republicans because the Republicans will want spending cuts. The Democrats have come out with this big, you know, big government budget of tax hikes and spending increases. So now they'll be looking to negotiate back down, but not to spending cuts, maybe to moderate spending increases with the Republicans or something like that. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but it's going to come to a head later this year with the uh, the debt ceiling negotiations. Yeah. Uh, untangling the government's issues is the absolute, it's impossible. It's never going to happen. You might as well just clear it up, start over. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's just it's it's the worst entanglement. Every bill that passes, no matter who you are, or what you're doing, go and look at the person sponsoring the bill, the, the legislator, and then go look at their connections to the people that they're trying to get advocated funds for. It's all there. It's all going to be tied together. It's all dirty money. It's all somebody working for something else. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it at today uh, for today's episode. So uh, thanks for watching, guys. And thanks for joining us, Mike. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm happy to be around. And don't forget, you can follow us and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms and on YouTube. And our micro content is also available on TikTok, 
on Instagram Reels and on YouTube Shorts. So if you use any of those platforms, do check out Dirty Money. Uh, And we'll see you next time.